You don't have a mic, eh? A mic? Yeah. I don't know what that means. Hey, Macklemore, can we go thrift shopping? What, 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 what? Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is February 16th. Again, 7 p.m. It's always 7 p.m. on a snow day here in Ottawa. And joining me in the Quebec side of things, making it diverse, is my co-host Pep Cariotti. P Dog, what, jer- what what are you wearing right now? What's the jersey? It's uh, I thought it was a Jays jersey. Park boys, oh no, it's Park Boys, Sunnyvale, and it's Bubbles. Uh, he was the assistant captain on the on their road hockey team. So uh, this is my one of my favorite jerseys, one of my favorite shows. Trailer Park Boys, you're a big Park Boys fan, eh? Big fan, very Canadian. So uh, you know, and you know, can, is there does it come any more Canadian than East Coast and hockey and Trailer Park Boys and you know, drinking with the boys? Drinking with the boys. I was never a big fan. I'm not gonna lie. Like I never really got into nope. the Trailer Park Boys myself. But um, that doesn't mean it's not Canadian. You know, it's just very, very hey. Canadian. Like a culture, it's got its own following. You know, and if, I think I think a lot like it's like you either really love them or you just sort of meh. You know? Yeah. It's true, and it's again. There's a lot of shows where if I had just watched it and like paid attention, and you know, a few in a row, you kind of start getting the characters. And anyway, sure. I just I haven't done that. It hasn't been uh, on my to do list yet. And uh, although uh, Fair. physique wise, I probably look like what's that? There's a guy that walks around no shirt on. Randy. Randy. All right, Randy. Old Randy. Randy Bobandy. Uh, okay, so we got a quite the show. You put it together, and you got a lot of real good stuff in there. Uh, there's a few things we want to uh, go through initially. Um, I don't know if you're excited or not, but I know that Ontario and the Udoe region, at least, have changed their colors from the COVID standpoint. So things are going to start to loosen up a little bit finally. I know uh, Jackson starts hockey on the weekend. I know restaurants are starting to open. I think gyms started to open. Uh, <laughs> is your gym opening anytime soon? Uh, no. It, it, I mean, soon, that's tough. It depends on how fast, because where I'm located is in a hospital. It depends how fast uh, the staff can be vaccinated. Once they're vaccinated, I think we're good to go. We're a little... We're, we're unique. We're not quite like the public gyms. If uh, somebody gets COVID in our facility, then, you know, it's it's literally a healthcare worker that has to quarantine for 14 days and everybody that's in the surrounding area. So they, they can short staff the hospital by doing so. So we're, it's a little Makes tricky. Sense. I'm being, I'm still being very patient and optimistic. I think the vaccine rollout, hopefully that's, we can pick up the pace here, Canada. You know, we're, we're doing well as a city, but as a country, we're really behind on the vaccinations. We got to get up. We got to get things going here. I know there's a delay now with the wind. I guess it was a winter storm at one of the facilities that was supposed to ship the stuff to us. So now there's going to be another week delay before we get them. Like we got to get this vaccine going before the variants take over. So fingers crossed. I'm trying to be optimistic. So we'll see what happens. Well, in the meantime, we'll open slowly. Again, hopefully people take that uh, into consideration and say, you know, let's not all go from zero to 100 right away. Right away. But mm-hmm. if we can be up at 50, 60 and start to have some sense of regularity and normalcy, 
but still being cautious. Hopefully we can kind of use this as the slow ramp up as opposed to another spike and bringing it back down. So we all got to do our, our part to be uh, diligent and safe with, uh, with this virus still in play. Um, this weekend was a pretty nice weekend and I'm going to give a shout out to a friend of ours, Ken Tasker, who, uh, if you want some cool hockey stories, go back to our podcast, whether it's on Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, go take a look at it and uh, look up for Ken Tasker's episode. Um, a lot of great hockey stories. Ken Tasker was a, a legendary fighter, uh, throughout the ranks, uh, of minor hockey all the way up to AHL. So right before the NHL. Uh, but anyway, he's got a, a great place uh, just on the outskirts of Ottawa and has made a nice uh, home rink. And he's invited us out there a couple times for uh, a little bit of a skate. So I've taken Jackson and uh, actually Savina came this weekend as well. But um, we had a little best of seven, little Stanley Cup series. So the teams were made up. <laughs> and um, this was the group of lads that were there. And as you can see, um, uh, Jackie boys got the... The, the Stanley Cup. So Ken's got a little replica Stanley Cup there, and he's holding that up in the air. And behind him is his, uh, his old man in goalie equipment who got lit up. Um, not lit up, but I lost. And uh, so kudos to Jackson, uh, our fact checker Curtis, who's in the back as well as another adult, and Ken, who's another adult. So Jackson was the only kid. Anyway, it went to seven games. It was intense. Uh, but it was a blast. It was a beautiful day on Saturday. Um, and again, I thank Ken for having us out there. But it, it, it just it gives you that desire for normalcy. Like you just want to have those get-togethers and you want to have more people uh, around and you want to have the, the big outdoor rink games that are down the street. But again, we're trying to be cautious. So it was literally our family and his, and then his friend who's in part of his bubble too. So um, again, trying to be as cautious as possible, but still have some fun. And it was, it was a blast. Well, that's it. eh? I mean, it's like, that's pretty innocent. Like I drove by the canal on what would have been Sunday around two o'clock. It was really nice out. There must've been 10,000 people out there. Like really, eh? you know, so, you know, to say that they, those people were being responsible, I mean, look, who am I to judge? I was on the canal, but I chose a, a quieter time. There was no way that the city was going to be able to re- regulate that. But, you know, people are, are obviously itching to get out and get some fresh air. So if as long as everybody, I think, uh, hopefully was responsible on the ice, I think everything went well. But, uh, you know, it's, it, we, we're all clamoring for a little bit of normal again. You know, I certainly am. So uh, that was for cool. Sure. I saw the pictures on Facebook. I'm like, that's pretty cool stuff. So It was fun. You put a lot of effort into it. For sure. Also, our producer, Mike, is off sick today. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you feel better, Mikey. Um, obviously, this show uh, will not run as smooth as it normally does with no, uh, Mike being struggle. out. We're going to struggle through it. I wanted to uh, shout out to uh, a few friends of ours too, uh, Keith Hiscox and a few other guys that uh, you might know. I think the McNamees were involved in stuff as well. Anyway, they're owners of the Central <coughs> Beer House and also the Crazy Horse Tavern mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the last uh, week, the Central Beer House actually decided that they had to close their doors. They couldn't survive mm-hmm. any longer due to this COVID stuff. They were in one of those uh, niche things where they were just a little bit too big to to even with uh, rent subsidies and stuff to really survive. And unfortunately, um, 
you know, it's uh, succumbed to the COVID uh, reality and uh, had to close their doors. So, uh, you know, my thoughts go out to, to Keith and those guys. So they, they're, they're there every single day. Like they're not owners that are just trying to rake in bar money. Like they're behind the bar. They're flipping bottles and, and cleaning tables and whatever they got to do uh, to help out and to make that place go. So um, I know that was a big, uh, a big hit to those guys. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, hear that. it's sad. Yeah. Uh, Drama Bar, by the way, a, f- a friend of mine named Tony House, a uh, legendary basketball yeah. mind in the city of Ottawa. Uh, him and his wife, I believe his wife mainly, um, own Drama Bar, which is uh, in, I think it's in that Canada Plex there where the movie okay. theater is. And uh, they're reopening Thursday. So just give them a just give, local business, just giving them a plug. Um, really good, good food. I ate there once and it was really tasty. So saying yeah. support local, this is not over by any means. And even if the no. doors start opening and stuff like that, they, these guys, these restaurants, guys and gals, these establishments need our assistance to mm-hmm. recoup some of their losses. So I know all their energies, the crazy horse, that's another place they're still surviving and they're going to be opening again, but it's supporting people, you know, and local businesses and stuff too. So again, yeah. do what you can. It's an excuse to eat great food too, if that's what it is. Um, <laughs> but do it. Um, the other thing too, uh, you know, the other news that just came out was um, the passing of Vincent Jackson, familiar with Vincent Jackson, who was a receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the San Diego Chargers for years. Curious to know what happened there. 38 years old, so uh, really young. Um, I'm curious to see what the story is there. I know there was a missing persons thing filed, and it found that he was okay, uh, and that was canceled. But then a few days later, he was uh, found uh, dead. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what that is. But, again, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I hope it has nothing to do with... You know, any side effects from football, that kind of stuff. A receiver position is a little bit different. But um, I don't know. Every time I hear oh. of a football player passing that are young, I always think that there's something to do with, um, you know, mental issues that could and more likely have been caused by years and years of football and and hitting each other. And I think, I, I think that because of the fear that, you know, I don't want to have – long-term effects from stuff. And I think of my playing days and concussions I've had and dingers I've had and vision loss I've had. And you think, where is that going to affect me later on in life? So, uh, you know, when it's a football player for uh, at that age and stuff, I don't know, it always hits home kind of for me. Well, you know, it's like uh, he's 38, so I don't think he's been out of the league for very long. I would have to look at his concussion history to see – if, well, if, if he's even was ever diagnosed with one, I, I think that those types of things, hopefully, I mean, they, they come on a little later in life. So hopefully with that, knowing that, that hopefully that's just, that's just not the case where you're, you know, worst case scenario. I think what you're implying perhaps is you never know, right? Maybe suicide or, you know, yeah. chronic pain and it'll lead, a, it'll lead a person to do crazy things. So actually it's a <laughs> great segue. Quite, quite, yeah. Well, that's brilliant. You just lobbed that one up to me. I want to shout out Dave Barbier. Uh, he's a high school teacher here in Ottawa at Sir Robert Borden, and he's had me come in. Standing oh, sorry, over Mr. Barbier there. Went too long for barbs. Um, he's had me come in. I actually spoke to one of his, two of his senior classes a couple weeks ago about depression, and he's having me come back this week and talk uh, to a couple more classes later this week. 
Um, it's not always easy to talk about. I mean, it's not hard because it's just telling my stories. There's nothing to memorize, you know, there's not, and certainly for the kids, they don't, it's not, I'm not reading from a textbook, so there's nothing for them to jot down, but it's emotionally draining. You know, when you tell your story and you, you know, you talk about things that happened in my life that not everybody knows about, it's, uh, you know, it takes a couple of days to recover from that, but, um, I'm glad to do it. I like it when I'm actually doing it, it feels good and hopefully it helps somebody, but I want to ask you, actually, Brock, about depression. Um, they, you know, in, they say in sports, athletes suffer two deaths. You know, there's the, there's your actual physical death when you end your life, and then there's the the death when your when your career ends. You, there's like a there's a sense of just like uh, loss of identity. Hundred percent. Did you ever, when you when you knew that football was well pretty much done from the from a player standpoint? Did you experience anything where you just like you just get major league down and you you know maybe perhaps you're I don't know you just felt the overwhelming sadness or I don't did you experience any of those symptoms of depression? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we talked about this one time early on in our podcast. You had a lot of questions for me, and uh, you know, it wasn't stuff you'd given me beforehand. So I remember after really thinking, you know, a lot of those questions kind of hit home, and some of the feelings I had were stuff that I never really processed properly. But um, one of the big things when you talk, identity loss is it. Like I've always been the biggest guy in my circle of friends on whatever team it is. I mean, all the way up to the, pro, to the pros, I was always the biggest. Um, so, and starting at such a young age, that was, that was my identity. It was Brock, the football player. Like, yeah, I played a bunch of other sports or whatever, but even if, you know, the success I had in baseball and whatever was, he's the football player who's playing baseball very well or whatever. It was just, that was just kind of the, the identity that I related with and that I, that kind mm-hmm. of stuck with me. So when football takes out of the equation and you're Brock, the, the guy, the football player, who are you? You know what I mean? Like what is my mm-hmm. identity at that point? So it, it definitely, you know, from specific depression signs and symptoms, you know, can I put a, uh, a finger on it a hundred percent? No. I mean, you know, was I, you know, eating more and, uh, you know, being lazy. And I, I, I still remember, you know, times once I was back at home of missing out on things with, with my friends, like hanging out with them, or they would go on trips or they would go out, uh, you know, do things that, um, to me at the time I would be like, no, like that's, that's not worth my time. It's not important enough. It's not, you know, like it's, it, it didn't fulfill, the, the loss I had of mm-hmm. being at that, um, you know, the level that I stopped playing at, I kind of wanted some more of that. And, um, and then when I look back at it, once I kind of got through it and I started to realize it really happened when I had kids where, you know, my identity and the importance of who I am um, as a football player didn't hold a candle to who I wanted to be and who I was as a father. And so that really gave me that identity at that point. But being able to look back on those years, you know, I, I accept it and acknowledge how much I missed out on because, um, you know, whatever justification I was giving at the time, but it was, it was depression, essentially. I didn't want to go and hang out with them. I didn't want to go do the things they were doing. Um, and because of that, I missed out on a lot. Um, so anyway, things like that, yeah. Like I can 100% relate to it. Um, you know, I got a friend now who... You know, I, don't, I think I talked to you a little bit about them. They were a family living with us. They were friends of uh, Angie's friends. Um, and her husband is a friend of mine who I used to train with and play ball with. And he's, 
you know, trying to find a job here in Ottawa. But right now he's a firefighter in Calgary. And in order to move here and be with his family for what they ultimately want, he's got to give up that career. And I think back to the transition from being a sport. So he played football. So he was a guy who went to football, you know, finished around the same level I did and then had to give that up. So you kind of go from that transition to say, who am I? And then he becomes a firefighter and now he's Mike the firefighter. And now he's got to give that up to be back in Ottawa. And I'm like, that's like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's twice that there's identity defining sort of careers at that point that you got to give up or something happens that you can't continue to do it. So I, I felt for him. I feel for him for that transition that it's going to be just like when you stop playing football and you acknowledge that I can't be a football player anymore. And he's got to choose to not be a firefighter anymore for the, the betterment of his family. But it's, it's going to be something that I will be conscious of and I'll, I'll do my best to sort of help him with that transition. And, and, you know, I can, I feel like I can relate to him a bit more than some of the other people, but I, I know what he's, what's coming for him. So, you know, that concerns me a little bit. That's interesting. And, you know, you, those are excellent points. And I, you know, when I, the last time I told my story to the, there was a, it was a grade 12 class afterwards. One of the questions was, when did you know you were, you were sick, which was a great question. Like it's, and it's, it kind of hit, put me on the spot. I'm like, Oh, when did I know I was sick? Well, in you know, in 2014, I kind of felt there was a day where I really felt poor and, um, Oh, Mikey, that's a nice compliment. That is a nice compliment. We got a, a, uh, that's thanks Mikey. That's good. Um, but I started thinking back even further and, you know, I certainly, now that I, you know, if I go back to like 2000, 2001, where I had opportunities to play basketball, I had to make a choice after high school, basketball or football. I couldn't afford to do both because my, you know, my mom couldn't rub two quarters together and my, my brother and sisters were moving on in their lives. So I had to make some choices. Right. And I, I was really, I really thought I could play basketball at the university level and I still think I could have, I think I didn't get the, a fair shot, but that's a whole other that was a whole other thing that I don't think I ever really got over completely. But, you know, when I injured my back, I think it's really when I, when I realized, okay, now my career is really done. If there's ever any hope of playing high level, anything it's over. So that was really difficult. An injury. I remember 2007, 2008 was really a tough year. So anyway, um, I look forward to talking to those guys and I want to thank Mr. Barbier for having me back. I have been approached by other teachers and as much as I love to talk about it, it's really difficult to, um, it's really difficult to do on back-to-back days. I need a couple of days to sort of let the emotions calm down again, and then I'm, I'm willing to do it. It's also probably not a, the greatest story for young kids. So, if, you know, if you're a, te- a teacher from grade nine and up, I might be beneficial. It's a little heavy for younger kids. So, um, but we can certainly chat if anybody wants me to come in and have a chat, then I'm more than glad to do it. So, yeah, and you're you're a great speaker, and I think that you relate to the kids really well and stuff too. So you would tailor it as much as you can to the age group that you're That's talking great, to. We got a Facebook user who made a comment. Uh, so now you can, you you get to come play golf with me to help improve your mental health. I'm not sure if golf improves my mental health or not, but i <laughs> um, looking forward to the upcoming season. And then they followed up with, you got to bring pep with us sometime. Uh, so without Mike, uh, unless, uh, oh, it's Josh Dedam. So thank you, Curtis. Mike is out sick. Mike usually gives us the uh, who wrote what if their names weren't showing up on Facebook. So that was Josh Dedam, uh, an old buddy of yours and uh, schoolmate. And he's the guy that's responsible for, um, I guess, the fact that I don't hit a ball into the woods every single time either, <laughs> which has been uh, greatly appreciated to say the least. And I am definitely looking forward to the golf season. Great segue to if anybody's a listener who happens to have hookups for memberships at courses anywhere in the vicinity of my house in Ottawa, 
by all means, reach out. I would love to uh, uh, become a regular somewhere and whatever. But I don't, I don't make golf membership money at this point, um, which would be nice. But and Josh, uh, damn, just uh, FYI, bud, I'm putting together a well, call it whatever you want docu series. I don't know, like a a four episode, twenty to thirty minutes on uh, the 1990 to 1994 Darcy McGee GGS and. You were part of, I think, two of those teams. One for sure that I remember. So um, tune in, buddy. It's going to be on my YouTube channel, but maybe Brock and I can post little clips on here in the upcoming weeks as I get through with it. I think it'll be an interesting uh, kind of a Hoosiers story. Um, Pretty cool stuff. We have a lot of good memories. I'm sure, Josh, you have uh, good memories, too, of those times. So There'll be be little clips. If it's Darcy McGee stuff, it'll be little clips on this show. (laughs) All right, let's, uh, let's pay some bills here real quick. Yes. Yes, sir. All right. If those who are listening are interested in buying a house, leasing a house, well, I guess not leasing because you don't need mortgages for that. Buying a house, a rental property, if you're fixing up, if you're looking to refinance because you're like, oh my God, these rates are so good right now. I got to take advantage of this before they go back up. Reach out to our man, Eric Fabian at the ottawamortgageshop.com. 613-899-5131. Give Eric a call. Make sure that you tell him that Brock and Pep sent you, and I promise you you'll get six-star service. You'll get the best rates in town. He's got 40 different lenders to choose from, so the, the competition, the competitive nature will be there. You'll get the best rates. And uh, we got a little uh, uh, prize pack for you or whatever. If you end up getting a mortgage with them, we've uh, worked out a deal. We can get a, a little UC prize pack for you, hoodie, hat, that kind of stuff. Anyway, OttawaMortgageShop.com, Eric Fabian, give him a call. All right, buddy. Awesome. What's next? Awesome. Well, it's time to talk a little puck. And, uh, you know, I was looking at the stand, overall standings, and there are some teams. I think there's one team. might be the, the Devils. They've only played nine games. Most of the league is averaging about 15 games, so there must have been a COVID situation in New, in New Jersey, I think, but... Um, very interesting. So far, so good. Fingers crossed in terms of the COVID situation in the NHL. Don't think there have been too many cancellations as of yet, but um, that was definitely going to be a, a, a risky proposition for every league that that uh, went ahead and and tried. I think college basketball has taken a bit of a kick in with, uh, with COVID, but NHL has hung tough. The Toronto Maple Leafs, now just solely based on points, the Toronto Maple Leafs are number one in the league. Does that surprise you? No, they were expected to be right up there. I, I'm surprised they lose to the Sens two days in a row, but <laughs> otherwise, it's uh, yes, Mike. Auto mortgage shop open for people buying again. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I figure he could yep. probably do it. I maybe speaking of my butt, but call him and he'll let you know. But no, I'm surprised. Um, Somebody asked me. I said, "Oh, can the Sens win two in a row against Toronto?" I said, "No, like they're." They're not built to win two in a row. It's just not that kind of thing. The Leafs are going to be the the ones that get outworked in game one. Then they say, okay, well, we better come back and, and put some effort into our game in game two. And that didn't happen. Well, not that it didn't happen. They did, but the Sens made a comeback, right, to, to bring it and win in overtime. So, um, you know, what turned into everybody's talking about the layup, the easy two points. I think uh, somebody who's an avid listener uh, brought that up last week in terms of are the Sens an easy two points um, are not an easy two points, especially, like I said, when it comes to Montreal and Toronto. Those are um, rivalry games. Those are ones that, you know, even new Sens, young Sens, whatever, get up for. 
And so it, it is what it is. You're going to get a fight every night, which is great to see because that's, that's what people will determine the Ottawa Senators' season on. And especially in the Ottawa area, the banter back and forth through fans and how they see the team is going to be, am I able to talk smack to my Montreal Canadiens buddy or my Toronto Maple Leafs buddy? Am I, if I'm just the whipping boy for both of those, then the season, if they won every other game, the season would be a disappointment. But if they're, if they're uh, competitive and can win some of those games against those two, then the, av- the Sens fan, the average Sens fan is going to be happy because of what they're able to uh, give and take from their buddies who are not Sens fans, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's, look, it's <laughs> it's good good win for the Sens. I mean, they were down 5-1. You could tell Toronto put, took their foot off the gas. Uh I'm, if I'm a Toronto fan, I'm not terribly concerned. I mean, it's it's one loss. You were up 5-1. You have to look at the positives. You were up 5-1. You know, you gave up a, a, a penalty, uh, a form, a, a double minor. They didn't score on the double minor. They ended up scoring right after, so it was, ended up being 5-4. And then, you know, at 5-4, anything can happen with 14 minutes left. But at the end of the day, it's, look, you're still number one. The Sens are pesky, but they really, they were listless the first few minutes of the game. So, you know, there was some talk today about the epic fail in the snack. Come on. They're at least Five one. The playoffs. No, an epic hey. fail is being up, it was a four goals in the third period against Boston in a game seven? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that right. was an was epic fail. Off the nets? I can't even remember who was in nets, but I mean, that's that's an epic fail. This is game number whatever, 18 on, on the agenda. They'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. And they, they are built for the playoffs. And Joe Thornton's a nice fit. Some of the veteran guys they picked up are, are really fitting in nicely. Zach Bogosian, really nice fit. I mean, there's there's a lot to be happy for. If I'm the Leafs, I'm 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 definitely worried about goaltending. Um, they're always know, worried about goaltending. They're always worried about goaltending. Freddie Anderson, like to be a goaltender, you got to be kind of like a special cat. You know, you have to have like a little bit of an edge, a personality. M- maybe the biggest critique of Carey Price is that he always looks kind of too chill. When he gives up the softies, he looks chill. When he makes an awesome save, he has the same demeanor. That's what I, I like about him. Works, I think it works for his benefit. To his benefit, but you know, some of the, some of the best goalies in the NHL in history have had that little edge to them, like Dominic Hasek and uh, Marty Brodeur. Those guys. I mean, I don't Who know. Are you concerned? Do you think Freddie Anderson, Eddie Belfour, exactly? Do you think Freddie Anderson's the guy? Do you think they? Uh, do you think they're going to roll with him? Yeah, I think they roll with him. Yeah. Do I think he's the guy? I don't know. He's a he's a very good goalie. Like I just. Very big goalie. He's a very big goalie. I mean, you know, I've proven I'm bigger than he is. And, you know, my eight-year-old son was <laughs> scoring on me during our game. So there's room there for sure. Um, but, uh, again, he's a good goalie. Is he going to uh, steal a bunch of games and, and, you know, carry price you? No. You know, I don't see that happening. Or when it does happen, it do, it's not in a – one nothing game usually you'll have standout games, but it'll be like a a four three that where the Leafs get outshot by a bunch, and he plays very well. But he's not gonna I don't know he's not the guy for me that's gonna win the game for you. But he's good enough for what the Leafs have. The Leafs have a ton of offensive power too. They've always had it for the last little while, and you know they kind of live and die by if they're putting the puck in the net. If they're doing that, they're going to be fine. If their offense struggles, they're not built to win tight games and to really clamp down on defense, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. I, and I think, you know, when you look at the the two measurables for goalies, 
in the today's NHL, it's position and uh, rebound. So, you know, does he position himself well? I think he's always in the right position. Uh, I don't think he moves laterally as good as some of the other goalies in the league. And does he handle rebounds? He's pretty good. I don't see too many rebounds off uh, off Anderson. So, I mean, we'll see. It's 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 early, but it's not, right? It's a 56-game season, and the Leafs are 18 games in now. So, you know, you're uh, just over just a quarter of the way through, and you're, you're, you know, you kind of have a good feel for what your team is. But uh, in terms of the top teams in the NHL, here are the top 10 teams by points. It's the Leafs and the Bruins. No shock there. Golden Knights, uh, I was, I've was i been impressed with Marc-Andre Fleury. All the trade talk in the I office. love Marc-Andre Fleury. He is playing his lights out. Um, I'm so happy for him. And, you know, I kind of like the Golden Knights. I, I didn't like those chrome nuggets they wore on their uh, on their heads the other day. Did you see those helmets? I did. I also saw myself in those helmets. The gold chrome? Yeah. That's, uh, no, they weren't that, was that great. Dame, right? That was Ugh. just wild stuff. I'm trying to turn my light down. I'm like, I think it's making my face red. You see that? <laughs> what are you, in a tanning salon? Apparently, I could use it, but maybe that um, and my, the tea makes my face red. Anyway, yeah, Flurry. Yeah, uh, I love Flurry. Like, he's oh. he's one of my favorite goalies. Again, ever since he did that thing in World Juniors, I felt so bad for him, and he came back with a vengeance in the NHL and has played awesome. His demeanor and his personality is just uh, mes- like uh, appealing and mesmerizing to a point. Like, he's just. Loves life, and he's playing awesome. And when he got traded and he kind of thought he was down and out and goes to Vegas and goes right to back to the Stanley Cup and is playing off his mind is, is phenomenal. I love the kid. Yeah, happy for him. Tampa Bay is right behind them. And uh, the Florida Panthers off to a good start. I think they're 9-2 and two or something like that. So, I mean, you know, will, they, will this continue? I don't know. But they're, they're a well-coached team. They're young. Uh, Barkov might be the might be the best unknown star in the NHL. He's really good, so uh, they're they're in the mix. I mean, that's I'm not talking about the Eastern Conference here. I'm talking about over the NHL overall. Uh, Carolina sitting right behind them. Then we got the Habs, Blues, Chicago Blackhawks, and Jets, and those guys round out the top ten. Um, the worst teams in the NHL right now, from the last to the fourth last, are the Sens. Are the are dead last, followed by the Sabers, Devils, and Red Wings. Um, which leads me to my thank you, Seb. They were awful. Um, <laughs> leads me to my question. Uh, again, we talked about this on the last podcast about the Sens being in the North Division. You you got a few gimmies when they were during a regular schedule. They're going to see the Sabers three times. They're going to see the Devils three times. They're going to see the Red Wings three times. Right there, there's a potential for six, seven wins just by playing those teams. So the fact that the Sens and you had said, well, hey, listen, they're playing good competition. This can only help the youth. They're, they're playing the best. Like the North Division stacked. Every Canadian team made the, made the playoffs last year except the Sens. So um, I think the way the setup is this year really did hurt the Sens in terms of, uh, in terms of competition. I predicted, I thought they were going to make or at least push for a playoff. But how do you so, mean it hurt them not- in competition? The competition is better. So what did it hurt? It didn't hurt the competition. And her what? Their egos, their development, but the competition is there. It's losing takes its toll. I mean, now they're going. This would be the fourth season now that they're going to have a losing losing season since that 2016 almost playoff, almost Stanley Cup run. You know, which wasn't expected at the time either. No, it, for sure. But they've you know they've slowly jettisoned all their stars from that team, and you know. They finished. They finished dead last last two years. I mean, that's a that's a long time for for, you know how long three years can be, right? Three years is a long time for a fan base to want to win. Or so, I think it. Uh, on the flip side, the benefit for the Sens is there's no fans in the building. 
Because if they were losing like this with fans, I don't know what we'd be seeing in terms of attendance. What do you think about that? I don't know. That's time will tell. I'm not sure. It's people are going to be craving whatever they can get. You know what I mean? Once this is kind of over. Sure. So I think from that standpoint, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be um, what the team, how competitive the team is. I think this might be the only time that, you know, let's say a fan base in Ottawa is just like, I don't care what the product is at this point. I just need to get out of my house. I need to go to a game. I need to feel normal. And lately that's the, the Sens losing. So, hey, they lose, but I had a good time. I'm at the game. I had a couple beers. I'm sitting with 20,000 fans. Like, that's what people want. They don't care what the product is at this point. So I think this is, like, it's a little bit different um, this go-round than it, than it would be for normal years. So you think COVID might actually help the Sens when this is over? I, I think it helps the Sens. I think, you know... The Sens I, specifically. The Sens specifically, I would think so. Like, I would be more apt to... When it comes out, I want to go. Nobody, I want right? to go to. Yeah, I want to go to. I want to do something. And if you say you can go to a Sens game and you can go and the crowd will be there and whatever, I'm going to a Sens game. I'll say, hey. yeah, I'll go do it. But I'm not going to go with any expectations, whatever. But I'm going to have a great time because I've been craving this for so long. It couldn't get any worse prior to COVID. Nobody was going to the games. I mean, there was a one o'clock game that I attended. It was uh, them against Columbus, which had a little bit of a side story with Duclair and some some players switching teams. And it was a one o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm like, "This is this is going to be awesome. We better get there early. It might be packed." There's nobody there. This was again pre-COVID. I think it was just just before COVID, as a matter of fact. But like, so the, like you might be onto something. This might actually help with the city clamoring for things to do and the, the sports teams, maybe they'll take the sense. They won't take the sense for granted as much. This could help Melnick too. You know, who knows? We'll see what happens, but I got a question for you, Brock. Do you like how players uh, force their hand in trades in any sport really, but speaking about um, speaking of essentially just hockey and with the uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Laine saying, I want to get a trade Dubois. Basically, I think, you know, he kind of, uh, there was a couple shifts in one of the games where he wasn't working so hard, so Torts had benched him for a whole period. What's your take on players and their control over their destiny when it comes to things like that? Um, it's a tougher question. Like, I think of university sports. I think of professional sports. I think of, you know, no matter what you're doing, you got to love what you do, okay? So guys that are playing hockey, the ones that – are only doing it for money. They don't actually like doing it. They don't have success usually. Like I, I, I can't think of anybody who's been really good to say, you know what, I hated playing hockey. I only did it because of the paycheck and whatever. It just doesn't happen. You have to love your craft, and that's what their, their thing is. And the life around a sports team, the relationships you have and the chemistry you have with the people around you are paramount. So – you know, I look back at my university thing and I, I wish I had had the nuts at the time to, to say, you know, you know, I'm not getting along with my position coach. This is not fun for me. And if it was just football related, there's no way I would have stayed at Colgate. But I had school, I had other friends and stuff like that. That was fine. But I tell kids now, say, look, you need to get along with the, with the, your coaches. That's essentially who dictates playing time, how you're going to – um, your shift time in the NHL, how your uh, off-ice life is going to be like and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you're not getting along with them, it doesn't matter how much money you're being paid, 
it's better for you and the organizations if you part ways. They have a chance to get somebody in return that wants to be there. They get rid of somebody who's maybe getting paid a lot of money, and if he's worth it, you know, eventually his, his play is going to be affected by the fact that he doesn't want to be there. So you're going to lose money on that anyway. I think it's, it's about time that athletes spoke up, and if the situation is not right for them in terms of uh, mental health, we talk about mental health a, a lot today, you know, mentally, am I in a good spot to be here? Do I like the guys I'm playing with? Do I like the coaches? Am I playing for the coaches? Are we like a team? And if I don't feel like I'm part of that team, it doesn't matter how much money I'm making and say, well, we'll suck it up. It's just not going to last. So you, you address those issues and guys are more confident addressing those issues now and they can get to a situation they actually like. Like look at Galchenyuk. You know, within a week, he's like, man, I don't like this one. I don't like this one. He's been traded like 15 times in the last 48 hours. That's not, that's uh, exaggerated, and he's not making those choices. But what I'm saying is that athletes now have the voice and the confidence to speak up, know that, you know, especially if they're good players, they're not just going to get cut and released and say, I'm never going to play. I'm not afraid that I'm never going to play in the NHL again. I'm telling you, this isn't the right fit. If you're going to keep that coach or keep this the way it's set, it doesn't fit for me. So get somebody in return. Get me somewhere where I can use my skill sets properly for another team and fit in properly. And I think that that's a great thing for the athletes to be able to do. I got bad news for you, buddy. You disagree. You disagreed with Draymond Green. Uh, that's disappointing to me? I don't know. You don't like him. I disagreed or disagreed? You disagreed. Oh, no, sorry, you agree, uh, you agreed with him. Sorry, did I say disagree? You said disagree, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, disagree. No, you you agree. He came out today, and he made a great. He actually made a great point. He said today, um, uh, with regards to um, Andre Drummond, who the Cavs basically said we're not we're not playing until we trade you, and he's like, well, I want I kind of kind of want to play. They said, well, no, if you can agree to this, we're just, we're going to work on a deal, get you out of town, and uh, they, you know, just said we just wear street clothes, we sit on the bench, try to be a good teammate. So he's doing what he can, yet the league and other other media outlets and other players crucify a guy like Harden for saying, I, I want out of here. So, you know, he said, and he actually defended James Harden, said, look, why, you know, this guy got just crucified in the media for wanting out. Um, was, he, was he playing his hardest the last couple of games in Houston? Well, probably not, but when you're not motivated, it's hard to really get up. I know you're a pro and you're getting, made, getting paid all, these money, all this money, but you're a professional still, but you're also a human being. So, it, you know, he made a great point of saying, like, it's a double standard. So if uh, Andre Drummond said, well, I'm not playing until you trade me, the media would have would have just crucified him. But the team does it, and it's fine. How is it fine? It's a double standard. So um, I think the players should ha have, a, have a say in where they play. I do believe in dynasties and some loyalty, and, you know, you don't see that as much in sports anymore. But, you know, the players do should take some of that power back. So... I mean, if, if they're them. part of a dynasty, okay, if you're part of a dynasty, you're part of a great situation, which means the coaches are there, the players like the coaches, all that kind of stuff. They're there for a reason. That core is there. That's why they're a dynasty, okay? If, they're not, if there's turmoil and, and guys not getting along and it's not a good fit and mental health is not there um, yeah. on either side, players or coaches – then that dynasty is not there. That's just the way it is. Like in order to be a champion at the professional level, everything's got to be working together. And yeah. if you don't have that, it's out. Now, hockey, basketball, baseball, 
those sports all have guaranteed contracts. So you sign a guy like Harden for $100 billion, whatever it was, and he doesn't want to play there. You want to cut him? What do you do? You're still on the hook for $100 billion. That money is owed to him. So as an organization, if a player does not want to be there, I would prefer he tells me that and say, you know what, I'm going to trade Harden for whatever it is they got back for, cash and draft picks and whatever. Say we got something back versus having um, a Harden who comes back next year. Instead of 30 pounds overweight, he's 70 pounds overweight. And, you know, he's just shooting threes between bags of chips on the sidelines and whatever. Like this is the guy that you've paid this much money for. You're guaranteed to pay him. It's different than like football. Football, you know, guys can ask that, but they can always just cut you and they won't have to owe you any money. So, you know, especially in those three sports, you're on the hook for those contracts, no matter what. So it's in your best interest to have a happy player, have a good dynamic and have the player want to stay and play for you and, and have that drive or better to know it sooner and say, you know what? His stock is still high. He's a good player. I can get some stuff in return. So the, the Jets and Columbus trade is probably as good as it gets in terms of those two organizations and saying, you know what? We have two guys. We each have a guy that doesn't want to be here. They would prefer to be at the other spot. Hey, let's, let's swap them and whatever. And they get something in return. I think that's, uh, that's great. Mike just told me I needed a chip break. Do you like uh, the blood rule? I, it drives me nuts, the, the blood rule uh, where if there's blood, it's a double minor, and if there's no blood, it's a minor. I've seen headshots that that deserve uh, a, a game misconduct. Then I've seen, like, basically a high stick, which is in, inadvertent in some cases, draw a little bit of blood from the nose, and it's a double minor. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. What do you think of that rule? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't. Uh, I don't think it should be indicative one way or the other. I find that it doesn't take a lot of blood. And when you, do you see that? You see guys down on the ground or whatever. I'd love to hear Ken or somebody talk about it. But I feel like there may be. You know, you sort of help yourself show a little bit of blood. Like they're really looking for it. And you're like, oh, it's right in here. Oh, yeah. and, and maybe they bit their mouth. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's the two minutes, especially in the playoffs. A four minute versus a two minute is huge. You know, who knows? They're not, uh, you know, just biting the inside of their lip to get some sort of blood. And the ref's like, oh, yeah, I see red. And that's automatically an extra two minutes. I don't know. I, I don't like it. I'd like to see a couple things happen when, with regards to penalties. I'd like to see them uh, have a power play for the full two minutes. If you score early, you, you stay on the power play for the full two that's minutes. That's how it used like to, to be. I'd love to see that. If it was, if that's how it used to be, I'd love to yeah, see it. Yeah, and that's what uh, um, my father-in-law, Paul, talks about all the time. He was like Detroit and the Canadians back in the day. He was like, they couldn't, yeah. they, they had teams that weren't that great five on five, but it used to be score as many goals as you can in those two minutes. And he's like, a power yeah. play, they were unstoppable. And he's like, that's all it yeah. took. One or two power plays, and then they were smoking people. Should the NHL lose a trapezoid behind the net? Has it, has it served its purpose to protect goalies, though, with those two corner trapezoids or whatever they are? Uh, I don't know. That's a. Uh, it takes away a, one skill from a goalie. Like if you're really good at playing the puck, you know that was a skill that was that came in handy where you get right to the corner. Now it's you see goalies just being able to handle it behind the net or whatever. Were they I, put like into place before the no touch icing? Yes. So maybe with an icing thing, if there's two guys racing for and a goalie's going out, that increases the collision. Now that there's no touch icing, maybe they can go out and play it if they want to. Um, and not be afraid of a, as big a collision. I'm not sure. I'm not. 
I haven't thought about it enough to actually give you an answer. If they want more scoring, having a goalie as far out away from the net as possible is probably going to help. But anyway, that's just my my perspective. Um, parity. I just, the last last topic on hockey here. In terms of the NHL, um, Seb Lamarcia said the trapezoid needs to be flipped. Not sure what that means, Can but he's a hockey guy, thing? so maybe it's uh, you know maybe well, you, you can only play it in the corners if you're the goalie. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. I see. Okay, if that's what he meant, that'd be cool. Directly behind the net should be the no, the no play, play zone, zone. Okay. and the corner should be good to go. The rule was put in to speed up the game, and it has not worked. I think the the New York Jets are doing that, Seb. They're not allowed to play in the end zone. <laughs> He's a Jets fan, too. Yikes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Um, parody in the NHL versus other sports. For me, the, the obviously, we saw a team like Ottawa be able to come back I'm not, I'm not here to, to poop on the New York Jets, but we look at a team, a really bad NFL team playing a really good NFL team. Their likelihood of winning is like slim to none and slim went home. So what's it like for like when you were comparing parity in the NHL versus other sports, is it good or bad for the league? In terms of having more parity or less parity? More, more parity. Obviously the, the worst NHL team could beat the best NHL team on any given night. Is that good for the league? Um, to separate stars, like give people go out to see their their their. I mean, it's nice to to see your team beat up on somebody they should beat up on. It's like watching those old wrestling videos from the '80s, and you had those jobber fights. You know, you knew you knew you were going to see the, the the superstar win, um, but it was still exciting, anyways. I, I don't know. I I, I think it's good for, for. I think it's good for the league. I think again, like you said, if there wasn't as much parity, then. There's not as much appeal to go to those games that should be blowouts and that generally are blowouts. And, uh, you know, because of yeah. that, then the, the value of those games goes down, the, the, the revenue for those games go down, all that kind of stuff. So from a yeah. league perspective, having parity in the league is, is good for the league. Oh, and it, it, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Every league would love parity. Every league would love to have every team on, like a competitive game every week, especially in the NFL. All right, um, Brock, let's pay a sponsor before we move on to hoops. All right. So I remember when Mike says sometimes you throw it out there last second and he's actually paying attention to the con- – okay, so there we go. <laughs> I'm going to do it again, I guess, right, unless you want to do it. It's all yours, pal. Hey, OttawaMortgageShop.com, OttawaMortgageShop.com. If you're in the market to buy your first house, the Ottawa market is hot. If you're looking to – Get a rental property because people are renting more. If you want to refinance, you got a mortgage, you're like, ooh, we're stuck at 5% or whatever from a few years back. Let's take advantage of these mortgage rates that are as low as like one and a half or even lower. It's crazy what these mortgage rates are right now. You got to give Eric Fabian a call. 613-899-5131. Give Eric a call. AuttawaMortgageShop.com. Make sure you tell him the Brock and Pep sent you and you'll be guaranteed six-star service. And the best rates in town. All right, all right, all right. OttawaMortgageShop.com, everybody. Okay, Brock, this came across my my path this morning. Um, LeBron James said in 2011 when the NBA locked out, uh, he almost tried out for the Cowboys and Seahawks, and he thinks he would have made it. A, would he have made it? And B, what position do you think he'd have played? Um... <sighs> Yeah, I think he would have made it. Um, are we talking? I mean, he's LeBron James. 
at the time he's doing it, he's a basketball superstar, you know, top whatever, depends on what list you're looking at, top two, top five, whatever, basketball players of all time. He's a an athletic freak for his size, his build, his athleticism is as good as anybody I've seen. Um, you know, I've seen his highlight tape, his high school football highlight tape. He's got some ball skills. We know that. We see him on the court doing it. Um, he's got great hands. I think he's a you know a, a tight end probably, but he is he's a load. Like he could play wide out. He could be like a DK Metcalf kind of guy. You know where he's got that kind of speed. Um, I'd be curious to see what his forty is, but he's he's jacked. And and you know again his ups are second to none. His hands are great. You know I think. The Cowboys would have been all Jerry Jones would have been all over LeBron James if he had tried out and he would be him and he'd have Amari Cooper on the other side. Yeah, I think for sure, you know, and we look at the best tight ends in the NFL in the last 20 years Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, all guys who had pretty good college careers. So good, in fact, that they probably would have been drafted in the NBA. So, yeah, that's a tight end would have been a perfect spot. But, like, you know, like you say, Brock, you know, getting low and, and blocking. I mean, we've seen LeBron basically get, get uh, you know, <laughs> pushed with a finger and he falls over, but that's generally flopping. Otherwise, he's a freight train. That's league. The guy is, that's he, the league made that out of him. <clears throat> that's the league's yeah, you know, refereeing and how they call fouls. That has, they're responsible for the floppers of today, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, I've always said I've always said that the unless the league's going to enforce it, players are always going to push the envelope and take advantage of it, take advantage of it. But at, you also have to be accountable as well. You have to be held accountable for your behavior and the flopping. He, to his credit, he's actually flopped a lot less over the years. In fact, since his second go around with Cleveland, I think he's done a great job of not flopping. He still works the refs pretty good, but that's okay. The refs know him. I think he's got a good relationship with him. He sees these guys like 10 times a year. So he does a good job of that. There was a flop last week in Memphis that was just atrocious that he, you know, is that the I one mean, he got warned for? Ah, oh, it's awful. I was watching it live and I was like, that is just, I mean, you just, you just can't do it. But like you said, if the, if the league isn't going to call it, he's working the refs to his advantage. He got two free throws out of it. So, Hey, um, the other I'm, thing I'm he would have been is maybe a rush end, like a Julius Peppers kind of style. Yeah, another again, Pepper's another great college basketball yep. player. So, yeah, for sure. We don't see too many basketball, football, dual sport guys just because of the, I think football is sort of a special, although Deion Sanders, but baseball was a secondary sport. You don't just see too many of those guys anymore. But, That's, uh, I mean, it's they're both hard on your knees and stuff too, right? Mike asks, is there, is there a penalty for flopping in the NBA? Um, you can get fined, but in game you, you don't. There's there's no technical foul for flopping. It's not. It's a non-reviewable play. Um, but the league always uh, reviews these calls, and um, you get a pretty hefty fine. Now, I think if you're a chronic flopper, you can get suspended for a few games. Good question, Mike. <clears throat> Let's talk a little Raptors. So they lost to the worst team in the NBA a couple nights ago, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Again, defense, their perimeter defense, Brock. I mean, I think you could take one of those guys to the hoop. Uh, Ooh, it's, is that a shot at me it, or a shot at them? It's a shot at you're you're a you're the size of a center, and you could take one of their guards to the hoop. Let's put it that <laughs> way. It's it's 
pretty weak. <clears throat> and then on top of that, they have no rim protection, nobody to block. Like Ibaka was would clean up a lot of the messes that the, that were made by the the small forwards. But um, yeah, I think when I when I think about the Toronto Raptors, I think ball movement, good defense, clean the boards, protect the rim, and they have none of that this year. It's all one on one, and their record shows it. They're twelve and fifteen. Not a great record. They're still sitting in the middle of the pack in the East. Uh, too much one-on-one. Van Vliet, Siakam, too much one-on-one stuff. Um, have you watched any of the Raps this year? I know you've been busy just with, fo- with college football, really occupied a lot of your time. Have you had a chance to watch any of the Raps this year? Um, well, just since Super Bowl's been over, I watched a couple of those. Um, I just I kind of wanted to see how their big guys were doing because they got that uh, – who are the two? They got um, Boucher and uh, the big white guy. Yeah, Baines is Baines, Baines is awful. Um, coming off a career year in Phoenix, he's he's just he hasn't played up to. Maybe it's just the, maybe it's just the speed of the Ra- the Raptors play. He's just unable to do it. Yeah, Slim Duck Boucher, he's averaging he's averaging close to twenty points a game coming off the bench. Uh, he's nice. The problem is he's he's hundred and eighty pounds. Or whatever. Well, like yeah, he's, he's got to beef up, and I just don't know if he he doesn't look like a guy that beefs up too easily. So yeah, that I don't think he can. I mean, what's what's he going to beef up to? Buck uh, ninety. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a situation that they need to address, and there's some trade rumors for Andre Drummond, and Andre Drummond plays in Cleveland. Not a lot of conversation about Cleveland or him. People know him from his days in Detroit. The guy lost 20 pounds in the offseason. I follow him on Facebook. His workouts are awesome. He's got a great trainer. He's he averaged he's averaging 20 and 20 this year. I mean, the guy had a game where he scored 30 points and grabbed 20 boards. I think he did it twice this year already. He's an old school guy. He doesn't have a perimeter game. But you know, there's talk about the Raptors. Oh, he's not. Maybe he's not the right fit. Well, what? They, you need rim protection. What is the right fit? And people are enamored with Norm Powell. They, oh, we can't. We can't include Norm Powell in a trade. He, he, we can't. He's too valuable. He's Norm Powell. I mean, the guy was like a second round pick. Is he a good player? Yeah, he's a nice player. Can he shoot the three? Yeah, he shoots the three pretty well. He's super athletic. But you know, oftentimes he turns the ball over. He's a little bit out of control. And he's Norm Powell. If you're gonna nix a trade because you you're in dire need for Norm Powell, you got bigger problems. It's those fans are talking and making decisions with their heart versus their head in yes. terms of the, the player. So Powell we're coming, yeah, we're coming right off of a championship season fairly recently. Um, Norm Powell had a huge uh, part in that and a lot of clutch things that people remember fresh in their mind of that. Yep. But on an overall perspective, he's a guy that if, you know, we can – get some high returns, then he's got to be in the conversation. He's got to be in the conversation. But it's tough to do. From a fan's perspective, it's tough to separate your head from your heart in terms of players. I, I, that's, and that's, the, I mean, that's ultimately going to be the deal with Lowry. Uh, Anthony Davis out three weeks with a strained calf and Achilles pain, which is the two usually tie in together. That's not good. But we've seen some of the greats go down with Achilles tears. Kobe was one of them, and his career was never the same when he came back. Durant just more recently. Now he's out with a calf strain. Dominique Wilkins tore his, tore his Achilles. We're starting to see injuries take away the the explosiveness of some of these guys. Blake Griffin, Brock. Remember how awesome he was coming yeah, out of college? Out of Oklahoma. I, yeah, I saw a clip of uh, the top 20 dunks from 2010 to now, and he was in like six of them. I don't think he's dunked the ball once since being traded to Detroit. And he is a, he's max money, eh? This guy is getting paid huge bucks. He's a shell of the guy he was before. Is there a way that the Pistons can recoup money? There's just no way to do this, right? When a contract is signed, it's ironclad, right? 
Yeah, unless they the player agrees to um, restructure their agreement, you know, in order to maybe they're making a push or something. They ask him to basically the club can ask him to take less money. I don't think he does, but they can ask him and restructure it some way or say, you know what, like yeah, we owe we owe you eighty mil, but. You know, let's Bobby Bonilla your trade and say you get a million bucks for the rest of your life. Yeah. While we can save some cap room and get a couple other players in here to make a push, but um, otherwise, it's it's there. Well, he's he's actually uh, they've just pulled the Andre Drummond with him and told him that you're not playing until we trade you. So again, another situation where max money he's getting paid like an insane amount of money, the same amount of money that. Uh, uh, like somebody, the De, Demar Derozan gets paid, and Demar Derozan is one of the most efficient players in the NBA. So it's crazy stuff. Uh, Charles Barkley said social media is the worst thing to ever happen to society. Do you agree? Yeah, I uh, really do. It really is. It really is. Everyone on social media has an opinion as an expert. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many doctors and lawyers I've met on Facebook. I mean, it's wild stuff. Uh, I thought it was a great quote. I don't know. It just came out of nowhere. Sorry. Charles Barkley is great. Yeah, Charles Barkley. Socrates. He's a quote Socrates. machine. Yeah. The Utah Jazz, and we'll get uh, Dan Case on here soon, just so he can uh, he can have his moment of fame. They're twenty three and five, best in the NBA. They're two leading scorers. Okay, Donovan Mitchell averaging twenty four and a half. Their second leading scorers, they're six men. Can you believe that? So that talk about balance on a team. When your second leading scorer is the guy, first guy coming off the bench, it's pretty impressive stuff. Uh-huh. But they don't have any Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he's in that superstar category yet. So the teams you can compare him to, the 04 Pistons. When they beat the Lakers, you know, they had uh, Tayshawn Prince and Rip Hamilton and Ben Wallace. and No superstar, just a bunch of grind and hardworking guys. Uh, the Grindhouse Grizzlies from a few years ago with with um, Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph. And um, Do you think a team with no superstars, generally speaking, and I know the Pistons were the uh, exception to the rule, do you think a team with no superstars can win in the NBA? Miami almost did it last year if, if you consider Jimmy Butler a superstar. Um, I would think yes, and the reason I think yes is because when you're built with superstars, they're the ones that are getting the ball. They're the ones that the plays are designed for. They're also the ones that a team strategizes to defend and say we got to take these superstars away. That's why you're seeing more and more of them have to have two or three other three superstars on a team so that if they take away the one superstar, there's at least another guy, and then maybe the third guy ends up being open. With a team that doesn't have a superstar, quote-unquote, and everybody sort of contributes, that there streams to me that the the system that they're running and the coaching that they're getting is what's propelling them to those next levels. And at that point, if you don't know who to guard, then, you know, again, it's the system and it's the matchup creation and, and the open looks that you got to hit versus knowing that we got to stop this superstar or tandem of superstars. So I think it is there. They always say you need to have that Kawhi Leonard to be, to, to win sort of thing, like with Toronto. But um, I think there is exceptions to every rule. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes in the, in the playoffs, it's a little bit of luck of the draw. And uh, no, you're, uh, you, that's an excellent point. I think in the playoffs, when, you, when it's grindhouse and you need a, you need a bucket, you need your, your one guy to take the ball, I think that's where it becomes a, a, a bit more prevalent. But anyway, uh, NBA will heat up. We'll talk more about the NBA in uh, future shows. Uh, but we're going to move on because we're, I guess we're, we are kind of running out of time, eh? Eight o'clock, bud. I didn't, oh, you know what? I didn't even get to the J.J. Watt. We'll talk about him next week and some of his. Yeah, let's. His, his, maybe by that time, they'll be, he'll be landed somewhere. Yeah. But 
We'll see. Yeah. I also had the, well, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. I had the every team's cap situation. I'll hang on to that information for next week because uh, there's some teams in a real, real hot mess, and they're going to have to make some hard decisions with veteran players. So we'll see what happens. Brock, do we have the UC blooper of the week, vintage, vintage edition that we can play for our uh... blooper <laughs> of the week? So we got Kerwin Bell, an old Florida Gator, quarterback for the Toronto Argos, runs the ball in against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, runs over to a defender to spike the ball in his face, spikes it, hits him right in the nuts. <laughs> Do you have Can we put... Oh. <laughs> And he got an objectional conduct call yeah, on that. Of course. That. I mean, the, the, and the best thing about that clip is Kerwin Bell, right? Not the He's not like Doug Flutie by any means. He runs it, and I think it might have been his only running touchdown all year. Comes out, and I don't know what he's thinking. Hey, he was trying to make a point. Somebody must have said something to him, and he's going to spike that ball right oh. in their face. And, well, well, Curtis just again, uh, from the back said, Pep's obsessed with that clip. <laughs> oh, I, I think I watch it at least 10 times a year. It, it makes me feel so good. Anyways, <laughs> it's a perfect lead up to uh, what I call legend or not a legend. And we have Bron- no intro for that. I have no another Oops. note. I, want, I need an NHL intro video. I need a legends intro video. Oh, not a legend. All right. And, uh, and uh, I'm just going to pull up my list here. I'm going to name off today's team focus is going to be your Florida Gators. And here are the rules. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> was the right. rules. Okay. I'm simply going to, this is, Brock's going to say, if this person showed up on the campus of Florida, would he be given basically the keys to the campus or keys to the city uh, as a legend in Florida? No, uh, His professional career aside, this is just Florida, okay? Okay. So simple, you're just going to say yes or no, or legend or not a legend, okay? Yeah. Whatever you want. Or maybe, because a couple of these guys are still playing. All right? Okay. Here we go. Rex Grossman. <laughs> no, not legend. <laughs> Marquise Bouncy. Legend. Chris Collinsworth. Legend. But a lot of the fans don't know, like, aren't as familiar with him. But I would say he's a legend, but that's more from the announcing standpoint. Legend, anyway. Yeah, okay. Carlos Dunlap. Legend. He was that good in Florida? He was the reason we lost to Alabama. And that reason was because he got suspended for being drunk, asleep at the wheel in a car, and didn't play in that game. (laughs) Had he played in that game, there was no tackle that was going to stop him from getting pressure on, I can't remember if uh, uh, Alex McCarron. I'm pretty sure he was the quarterback, and Dunlop would have been in his face all day, and that would have changed the game. I'm 100% certain of it. Interesting. Didn't they? They must. They played together in Cincy too. I think for a year or two. Interesting. Percy Harvin, legend. Wilbur Marshall. Yes, but I think he's just too old school for the ones right now. Okay. Mike Pouncey. Yeah, the Pouncey twins are legends. Both. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Trent Brown. No. Dante Fowler. No. Okay. Okay. Jack Youngblood. Yes. Legend. 
legend, Jack Youngblood, broke his leg and played in the Super Bowl on a broken leg. Ridiculous. Uh, Emmett Smith. Yeah, legend wherever he goes. Fred Taylor. Legend. The only problem with Fred Taylor was his son was the running back for Florida. So he was the number one running back out of Florida, high school Florida. Number two was Henry. And Florida got the number one. Derrick Henry was the number two. And you see pictures of him, and Henry's like four feet taller than him and whatever, and obviously ends up being the way better back. So I wish we had gotten number two. But Taylor was uh, a good bloodline, if you will. Danny Werfel. Legend. He's got a statue. He's a legend. (laughs) Tim Tebow. Okay, let's stop with the stupid questions. Hey, hey. He is the legend Okay. Legendary right. player. He's top five college football players of all time. Javon Curse. Yeah, I would say legend. Joe Hayden. Legend. This, this next one's awkward. Aaron Hernandez, if he was still alive. Legend. I, I think Hartley. it's tainted when you have off-field things like that. But, but his time in Florida... His performance on, on the field in Florida. Legend. I saw him live. Legendary. He was Hardgraves the third. No. Kyle Pitts. I know. Yeah. He's, I think. Yeah. Thing is, he's only had one real good year. Um, but that year is arguably legendary. And it'll depend. It's to be determined, I think, for him. Right now, if he goes back to the. To, to Gainesville right now, he's a legend for this window, but uh, I think it's to be determined from a long-term perspective. Interesting. And the last one, Kerwin Bell, Mr. Spike, myself in the crotch. Let's be honest. Most people only <laughs> know that he's a Florida Gator because of the, 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 the crotch spike, and they're like, the Florida Gator guy did this. No, he's not <laughs> he a was legend. was American one year. Yeah, whatever. No, he's not a legend. Oh, he, oh, he's a legend in this house. I'll tell you that right <laughs> he's now. He's a legend somewhere. Uh, there you have it, folks. Legend or not a legend? Nice I like it. Yeah, right on. Some of those are layups. You know they're legends. Hey, they gotta be. They gotta be called out, though. I mean, it's, can't, I'm not gonna ignore them. I would. All right, all right. I think that's it. We that are it. going out to your choice of song, Def Leppard. Rock of Ages. Make sure you guys, if you guys are looking for UC gear, make sure you guys check out the sales at megacitypromotions.com. It's an email address. You can message Steve. He'll get you whatever you guys want. I'm going to put an order in for some more sweatshirts and stuff like that. Get some more UC gear going. Make sure you, know you when guys... You what? Let me know when you do that. Oh, 100%. And uh, before, we, before we close up shop, you like the dunk contest? Yes or no? Nah. Not anymore. Nah, yeah, it's over. There's just so many things they can do now, and it's just not. It's not even impressive. It's all gimmicky and whatever. I'm over that. I don't think the All Star Game is fun to watch whatsoever. So boring. Um, yeah, that's it. Anybody who's got golf course membership hookups, please email me. I would love to get onto something like that. And uh, yeah, make sure we uh, shout out to uh, Soldar Medals for my backdrop. And Pep's got one coming in soon, I think. Don't you, John Shaw? Yeah, man. All right. That's it. You guys can enjoy the rest of this song, which is Pep's number one Def Leppard song. Crank it. 